Growing up as a little kid in St. Louis, I was a huge baseball fan, still am. And when I was a little kid, I would go to sleep listening to the ball games, and I'd wake up in the morning when I was old enough where I knew my alphabet, and the, as my mom was doing the dishes after breakfast, after feeding all six of us, I would sit with a newspaper and spell words to her. You know, what does what C-U-B-S spell? That was always the, 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 the lowest team on the standings, and so I learned them. I learned how to spell that Cubs quickly. I'm just teasing. Um, the Chicago people hate me now. That's okay. Um, but I would, I, would, I would spell these words out, and my mom would say, that spells Cubs, that spells, you know, and I, I, was, I was just so excited, you know, to be able to, to be a part of that. And still to this day, when, during the baseball season, I love waking up in the mornings and, and going through the box scores and seeing how players and teams are doing. So it's not really with any wonder that I grew up loving sports and especially journalism. When I got to college and in my first semester almost failed chemistry and realized that there was no way I was going to make it in the scientific world, I decided to do journalism in college. And I loved it. One of the things I loved about especially sports journalism was the access you'd get to uh, athletes right after a major event. And it's kind of unique to that world. Now imagine, if you will, for instance, no, none of, most of you aren't married, there are probably some here who are married, but imagine if you're in a relationship and you have a big fight with your spouse or significant other, and the moment you're finished with that fight, someone shoves a camera or a microphone in your face and asks for your opinion on how you think the fight went. All right, what a crazy world that is and can be. When you're successful, it's easy in one way to talk about it, but when you're suffering and struggling, when you've just lost something or gotten hurt or made a mistake, it's impossible to speak in a way that usually that, that can express what you're feeling because your, your mind and your body don't seem to be connected to each other. And it's exactly this that the Israelites express in the psalm that we heard today. This feeling of having just lost everything. As we heard in the first reading from um, Second Chronicles, we hear this litany of the sins that the people committed and what they lost. They lost everything. Everything that was dear to them. The promised land, gone, taken away. The temple, raised to the ground. The Ark of the Covenant, gone. And yet they go to this foreign land. They're foreigners. The people there are intrigued by them. They speak a different language. They look a little different. And they ask them to sing your songs. And we hear in the psalm today, By the streams of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. On the aspens of that land we hung up our harps. In a foreign land near foreign trees, they, near a foreign river, they were silenced. They did not know how to sing. And yet, as is so often in the Psalms as we go through it, we hear at the very end here, If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand be forgotten. May my tongue cleave to my palate if I remember you not, if I place not Jerusalem ahead of my joy. That even in this moment of suffering and sorrow, even in this moment when the world doesn't make sense, when they cannot speak or sing, they know that the Lord has given them something toward which they should turn their hearts with joy. And so too for us, whether it be in the moment of either public 
failure, or inner turmoil, there is nothing the world can throw at us, can do to us, that has not been conquered by the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. For us, as disciples, as followers of Jesus, there is joy and glory and beauty even in the worst piece of torture that the world has ever devised the cross. In fact, we honor it. As we move toward Good Friday, we venerate the very instrument by which our Lord and God was nailed to and killed because we celebrate the glory and the joy of doing the Father's will. And how it is through doing the Father's will that Jesus accomplishes for us the forgiveness of our sins. So that we no longer are trapped and enslaved to the darkness, to the brokenness, to the sins that so easily take us down. We, in fact, are just the opposite. We are saved, we are redeemed, we are beloved children. Not only can we withstand the terrors of this world... There is nothing you can do in sin that God won't forgive if you but turn to him with a sincere and contrite heart. This is the measure of God's love for you. St. Paul tells us in the reading from the letter to the Ephesians, God who is rich in mercy because of, his great lo- because of the great love he had for us, even when we were dead in our transgressions. St. Paul is talking to the Ephesians. He's talking to us. We are dead in our transgressions when we fall into mortal sin, when we fall away from God's love. And yet, God loves us still. His love will never be conquered because even when we were dead, what does St. Paul tell us? We are brought to life with Christ. By grace you have been saved, raised up with Him. There should be something different about us And that's the grace, God's very life dwelling within us. We have been saved, we have been redeemed. And though there are times in our life where the darkness is great, and we've all experienced that this last year, the more conversations I have, especially with you students, is the challenges and the struggle, the isolation, the loneliness of this last year. We have all been impacted by the darkness. And not only that darkness, but oftentimes the sin that goes with that, both personal and the sin around us. And yet God has saved you. God loves you. God is calling you to the light. But we must choose the light. And when we choose the light, we are not afraid of what is left in the darkness. The skeletons in your closet, the sins that you have committed, when you bring them to Jesus, you are free. Yes, there may be some sort of reconciliation that must go on in your relationships and in the world, but you take that on because you have been set free by the light and the love of Jesus. One of my favorite reflections on the beauty and the joy that comes from following Jesus, even in the midst of darkness, is a a, um, a 20th century, I believe he's now blessed, he's at least venerable, Francis Xavier Nguyen Van Thuan, who was the Bishop of Saigon, right as the Vietnamese War was ending. And he was sentenced to prison and he was tortured for years and beaten and all of these horrible things were done to him. 
And yet every day, he would, they would smuggle in, in a little tube, basically, some rice paper. With, and in the rice paper, there was just a little bit of wine and just a little bit of bread so he could say Mass. And he would write on these little pieces of rice paper and send them back out into the world messages of encouragement to his flock. There's a, uh, I can't remember the name of the book now off the top of my head, but there's a book, and it's like Twitter before there was Twitter. But in his, he gave a reflection to World Youth Day uh, about 20 years ago on his time in prison. And he would teach his torturers Latin hymns that he had learned in seminary, songs of praise to God. He would sing joyfully the song Te Deum, You are God, we praise you, is the first line of that. And he would teach his imprisoners, who didn't speak a word of Latin, of course, they were Vietnamese, I mean, why would they have known Latin? But they would sing together these hymns of praise. And so even in this moment of darkness, of sheer brutality, the name of Jesus was being proclaimed. Light shone out against the darkness. And we have this beautiful witness and testimony of hope. And that is the witness that the Lord desires for you to give in the world in your friendships, in your classes, in your fraternity and sorority. God didn't come into this world, we heard, to condemn it, but to save it so that you might have the light in your life and that you might be the light to other people. But we must bring things to the light. We must go to confession. We must pray. We must serve the poor. We must bring our entire hearts, minds, and souls to God each and every day in prayer, regularly in confession, when we come to Mass, to lay our burdens on the altar and for them to be consecrated and lifted up with the bread and the wine, to become one with the body and blood of Jesus. Some of the saints, one of my favorites, St. Rose of Lima, when they would receive Holy Communion, their faces would shine, the light of Christ shining out from within them receiving Jesus in the Eucharist, and going out and taking him into the world. We do suffer and struggle. At times we are put on the defensive and asked questions and challenged in ways that we just don't know how to respond. It is exactly for those moments that Jesus came into this world. It is exactly for those moments that Jesus forgives you, that Jesus feeds you with his very flesh and blood is because the light of the world shines brightest against the darkness. And you and I are called to be one with Jesus and to be the light for the world in need. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. And we heard that last thing, whoever lives the truth comes to the light so that his works may be clearly seen as done in God. Bring it all to the light, so that God can bring all and give all and do all through you, in you, and with you.